Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Today's guest is a Washington native who many may say has made better life decisions than I have and moved out of our home state to Montana, which has allowed him to consistently hunt spring bears year in and year out. Uh, in addition to being a seasoned spring bear hunter, he does pretty dang well with deer, elk, uh, whatever he decides to pursue. Uh, we're talking about Mr. Ryan Lampers, also known by many as the stealthy hunter. Over the past few years, Ryan and his crew have had a ton of success on their spring bear hunts, but he doesn't just stumble into the success. He has put all the information he's gathered over years and years in the experience that's available to him, and uh, it, this puts him in spots where he will find big bears year in and year out. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you, Jason. Wow, quite an intro there. I, uh, I appreciate the acknowledgement of making better life choices than you. I don't know if that's true, but uh, on one level, it, it definitely is. Um, as I moved to Montana and away from the state of Washington. Yeah. I would uh, agree with you there. Yeah. About this point, uh, all of these Washington residents that uh, just realized we're going to talk about spring bear hunting, they've all just like oh, turned us off. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no hope for them. So. They need more turkey calling probably yeah, yeah, in their yeah. world right now with Washington <laughs> and where it's headed. Oh, so how's everything going there in Montana? It's uh, very white, very snowy. Very, um, I don't know, it's been a long winter and we're ready for it to be done. It's, uh, we are all jacked up and ready to get onto some spring bear. I tell myself it's the snow is melting, um, but it, <laughs> it doesn't look like it's melting out there, man. It's the mounds are white. Um, but now we're, we're already ready for season. It's coming quick. We're a couple of weeks out from, uh, when you could possibly go out and start chasing some bears. <laughs> but I, I think uh, that little, might get delayed a little bit. A little delayed. And yeah, we're not going to jump the gun here, but a lot of our questions, um, we've got kind of a special podcast here, the way that we put this together. And a lot of it is going to jump into that 
conversation on finding bears and then with that what are you going to do in a year like this so we'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit um so no i appreciate having you um like i said you've been you know i would say you even joke with me which i i hope it's a joke that you may even put like spring bear hunting above uh, archery um rutting elk uh which it's- is it's tough to, to take, but no, you, you've been very successful. The groups you've taken have been very successful. And um, it's one of those hunts that I kind of, I'm jealous of. Like, I just want to be out there, see what you guys do. The country that you guys are in for springtime is amazing. And, uh, you know, the success kind of speaks for itself, uh, you know, consistent yeah. on big boars, you know, for the most part. Man, there's spring bear hunting. You know, I can honestly say, uh, coming from Washington, we didn't get a whole lot of opportunities back there. We had to travel and uh, cross borders into Idaho and Montana. But um, fall bear was always very popular with us. We never missed a fall bear season over there in the high country chasing them in the berry fields. But, um, man, this spring bear hunt has, in the last 10 years, has just, it's really found a soft spot in my heart because I... I wasn't lying, Jason. It is my number two, um, right, right <laughs> square behind mule deer, which will never be overtaken. But I just, there's just something about spring bears. I think it's the time of year, the adventure you can make it right. I think, yep. you know, there's, there's, there's hunts that you can make somewhat easy. There's hunts that you can make as difficult as you want. So the challenge of a spring bear hunt is incredible. You can, you can basically plan a trip around uh, whatever you want to do in the mountains. Like we, we chase these things in, in mountain goat country half the time. So, um, I absolutely love the places that, that bears bring you and the time of year that we're able to get out there and chase them. Yep. And, and that's one thing that I've only got the spring bear hunt once living in the state. I was lucky to draw very shortly before it was um, taken out of the the big game regs, you know, but I love that it, it, it can check so many boxes for so many different people in the way that they want to hunt. You know, if you, some States, if you want to bait, you can bait some States that allow hounds. And then, you know, like you, this, uh, a guy that's looking for adventure wants to go hunt them, you know, above the tree line, um, at the snow line, like you can check all of those boxes and we've been cooped up for, you know, it's like your first time out your back backpacking, you know, it just, it's one of those one of those hunts that can check whatever boxes you need it to check, um, and, yeah. and you almost get to make that spring bear hunt your own. And you can you can there's so many tactics and and ways to go about spring bear hunting, you know, and different topographies, different terrains, you know, you could, and they can be vastly different from like a southwest Montana type, more open pines to a North Idaho country type where baiting and hounds and things like that are just, man, it's almost the, the way to go in certain places. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, I have settled on the, um, the glassing spot and stock, uh, type of tactic. I, I love it. It keeps you on your feet. It keeps you moving. Uh, it's a great way to grab a lot of endurance and, and, um, and, just glass a ton of country. I love, I love that type. I, I can't sit still. That's why I, I don't sit in tree stands or anything, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Spring bear can, can be as easy as you want it to be, or as difficult as you want it to be. And, and couple that with the terrain, the drastic differences in terrain that bears inhabit. Um, yeah, there's a lot of challenges there. Yeah. And I, I loved it from a, a another thing I like about spring bear, the same things that baiting and hounds give you is the, the ability to, um, take certain bears that you're after, you know, and that's yeah. why I love spring bears. It gives you that edge, 
um, when they're out there doing their mating, you know, you can, it's easy to tell, which is a boar where, you know, a lot of times fall hunting, when you get those kind of tweener bears, like if you're not very skilled at knowing what you're looking at, like you're, you know, for some guys, it may be 50, 50, uh, until you just do a lot of looking and like, you know, identifying if you're shooting a boar, um, or, you know, a dry sow or something that just doesn't have cubs. So this gives us like a management tool to make sure we're, uh, you know, a guy like you that's specifically after large boars or for somebody that would rather do that, it gives us just another tool um, to help manage, yep. um, you know, the resource. Yeah. I mean, there's no question if, if you're looking to, or a sportsman are looking to take out a certain class bear, you know, those old ancient boars or the old dried up sows, you know, the, that is very manageable um, and doable with hounds. You know, you can be picky. You can choose which bears to let live and which bears to take as well as, you know, on baits and, you know, sizing them up, you know, um, in opposition to that, that bait barrel and stuff like that much easier. So there's a lot less guesswork in it, um, with those two methods. And, you know, I'm sure we'll end up talking about, you know, how we size up bears in the mountains at a distance. It can be difficult. I don't care who you are, how long you've been doing it. Uh, There are times where you, you uh, might screw up a little bit in your judgment, but there's definitely some things to look to. But um, yeah, I I love those two management tools, um, the hounds and, and the baiting. It's just definitely not the most adventurous for me personally. I, I like it the other way. I like yep. the difficult part of it. Yeah, that, that I, I can see that, you know, but it, it's still, it's still hunting. It's still a great, yeah. great time to get out there. And, um, you know, we need to take some of these predators, you know, off the landscape. So this is going to be a different podcast, um, than normal. A lot of times we'll take a couple listener questions and then we'll jump into some of my discussion. Um, today we're going to bring you basically all, um, listener questions. So it's, it's a different format, but if you have any questions of your own for myself or our guests, um, feel free to email us at ctd at phelpsgamecalls.com or like we did on this episode, uh, we put a post out there on social media and just to ask people what they want to know about spring bear hunting um, for, and we can tee all these up for Ryan. So we're just going to kind of jump into these questions and kind of the, the first couple are a little uh, different. And then a lot of these will start to run in, but they all kind of um, segue into each other. So it kind of gets us on a, on a little bit of a roll here. So the first question, Ryan um, is it realistic to be successful spring bear hunting when only weekends are available? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> and kind of going along the same lines, like I mentioned before, you know, you can make these hunts as, as difficult or as easy as, as possible. Absolutely. Bear hunting more than almost anything else that I do can be something that I can grab my daughter after school run up to the closest range and start glassing. I can glass from the truck and pick up bears and it's not that difficult to do. So, um, you know, hitting, hitting a a logging road and you don't have to go far, you know, it's not always a uh, five to 10 mile thing. It's not necessary by any stretch when it comes to bears. Um, you know, especially as they're just coming out, you know, most of these bears, they're in this, in this region, you know, the Rocky mountain States and this Western front, we got, I'd say on average, we're finding them den up at about 3,000 to 5,500 feet up to maybe 6,000 feet. Um, so, you know, it's not like you're having to get into the eight, nine, 10,000 foot level, um, or elevation, you know, we're finding these bears on those South slopes, fairly low on the hill, um, in a lot of these States. So 
I would say in short answer, I guess, absolutely. You can do it in an evening. You can do it on a weekend. Um, it's bear hunting is one of those things where, you know, a couple hours is all you need to go out and maybe glass up a bear. Now, I don't know if you're going to have time to go get him that night, but definitely opportunities to see him um, and not have to put too many miles on. Yep. And, and, uh, you know, this applies to all hunting. If that's the only time I have to hunt, I'm still going to be out there. There's always a chance, you know, there's always a chance that we would be lying if we said that your probability of, of success doesn't go up the more time you can invest, or if you're looking for something specific. But I remember we had a, um, my buddy had a Winaha spring bear tag. It went over for like a week and we were kind of coming back on just a bonsai weekend trip. Um, you know, for us, it was a, five and a half, six hour drive. We, we drove four times longer than the hunt was. We, we walked down a trail, um, you know, two hours in shot the bear and, and had him back to the truck and, uh, a lot less time than, than we, it took to even get to the unit. So there's always a chance what, you know, I, I think we'd be lying to say if your, your chances of success don't go down, but, um, yeah, if that's all yeah. you've got by, by any means, you know, I, I would still be out there hunting. Absolutely. Um, so, um, you know, there's, this next question, um, a guy's hunting with his dad who it sounds like maybe can't get around as good as, um, you know, you or, or maybe even him and get into the back country. How would you deal with, you know, working around baiting and hounds? So this guy maybe sounds like he doesn't want to take advantage of the baiting or wants to give them space or the hounds. Um, do you have any, you know, this is more front country stuff, but how would you deal with, with those two aspects of, of other guys out in the woods, you know, hunting the same, same critter? Mm. That's a great question. Um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll be honest and I, I, uh, I don't tend to run into a whole lot of guys on baits. Now it is very popular in some of these States, you know, Idaho is, is there's a lot of guys that do it and with good reason, great success. Um, but when I go over to that state, I'm just going in too far, but you know, I, I think, you know, for someone that's not able to put in a lot of miles, most of these guys aren't baiting too far from the road, right? They're, I, I, I've heard, I've not done it. I've heard to go even a half mile or a mile in is pretty far for a lot of these bait sites. Um, now there are guys that go above and beyond that. But man, again, I think I go back to uh, grabbing a logging road um, and just hiking in. It doesn't have to be too much exertion um, to find areas to glass from. And, uh, you know, some of these logging roads out here, these gated ones, you just don't have to go far and, and, um, you're picking up bears. So, yeah, yeah. Just, and we'll, we'll get into it in a little bit, but you just have to find that food that they're on. If they're not on a bait and they're not, you know, if they're not crossing the main road where the hounds can pick them up, they're going to be kind of left alone in those pockets. And that's all you really oh, have yeah. to find. Absolutely. Um, yep. Uh, this, this will kind of be the last, and then we're going to really jump in we'll start with snow, but this is the last question here. So earlier in the spring, do you focus more on those south facing slopes or the north facing den areas? So I guess it depends on how early in the spring, you know, we always try to time it just on the front end of where we're just starting to see those first bears come out. Um, you know, it's my opinion that the most mature boars are out in the open um, it's almost, I can't believe I'm saying this, but out in the open first, and they stay there visible more often than not than later in the season for sure. So some of the best boars that we have ever taken are on that very front end where the snow is just receded enough and you're not necessarily seeing any green, but it is just starting. Like it is just on the cusp of starting to, uh, 
to green up on the mountain. So, you know, some of those north slopes prior to the green up, you know, those bears, they'll generally come out sometime in April, sometimes front end, sometimes middle, sometimes late. Um, they'll be there, they'll be out and you are able to pick them up. But obviously when that south slope starts greening up, um, it's at that point when your focus should be turned to the south facers, or at least, you know, there's some north facers too that just have topography laid out enough to where it's grabbing some sun. You know, it's still getting some opening enough to to get some light and and grow that vegetation. So, um, yeah, I guess very front end. You know, a lot of these bears will den on those north northwest side faces. Um, generally, it's in like a could be anywhere from a 20 to a 50 degree pitch slope, um, on those North slopes. And, uh, it's those basins in those areas that have a, an adjacent South slope with some good green vegetation, man. Those are the, those are the money spots. Those are the places that I kind of key into, but, um, you know, obviously you're looking on both sides, but at the very, very front end, um, I'm, I'm looking in those North slopes. And as soon as that green starts popping though, I'm, looking at those um those sun-filled south facers yeah and it seems like you know watching some of your guys's videos you guys are sometimes looking into north faces and the bear like crosses the head of the basin and is on the south so it almost yep. seems like there's no right or wrong spot you know to really yeah, you're looking at everything yep yep yeah you're looking at everything and and the the interesting thing you know you hear south slope used a lot and it's yeah it's where the sun hits um that's where the grass first starts to show, but man, it really doesn't take that long for you to start seeing some growth on a North face too. If, if it lays out right, you know, if you got some sparse timber, you got some beetle kill or, you know, a sparsely logged area, for example, where just enough light is getting through there, you know, all slopes are different. Some North slopes are absolute jam packed with, uh, you know, deep timber and dark timber and, yeah, you're not going to get much grass in there, but there's other North slopes that are wide open and they'll still offer some good green up. And, um, a lot of those bears will do just fine sticking to the North slope. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. Let's, let's jump into snow. We, we've talked about it right off the bat. Um, it seems like it's a big driving factor on where you're going to hunt spring bear, where the bears are going to be at. You know, we've talked about spring bear usually, following the snow line up or right there behind the snow line is where, you know, you're going to get that green up. You've talked about like that bright green chartreuse color. Like you're looking for the, the, the vegetation that's that color. Um, so on a year like this, where you're, you guys have a lot of snow down low, your, your, your typical spots, you'd mentioned, you know, trying to get up into, will this snow keep you out of the Alpine? Will it force you to come down into that mid range where there's timber, or are you just going to wait longer so you can hunt these bears where you want to hunt these bears? Um, so I'm going to treat it like most years, you know, I, I love to get these things right out of the gates or at least target them out of the gates when they're just before that green starts. So <clears throat> still going to be looking early. Um, definitely going to be on that front end, but we're going to be fairly low. You know, we're going to be <laughs> to be specific, we're going to be in that 3000 to 4,000 foot range. You know, that's, those are the slopes that I'm going to be checking out first. And, um, you know, it all goes up from there, but, um, it is going to be a later season, no doubt about it. You know, I, I think a lot of guys are in a situation where they're trying to figure out what week of work to take off. That's very important right now. And I'm getting hammered with a lot of people asking that question, like, 
I, I had scheduled this for that, that April 15th timeframe, but this year it's looking much different than I thought. And that's true. And, um, I would say if I, I would probably schedule it another week or two later this year. I don't think you're going to hurt yourself. Um, by moving your dates out a little bit, I'm still going to be chasing them, but, um, I'll probably be on the front end of it and I'll just hunt through it. But yeah, there's not going to be a whole lot of green showing, um, even in that three to 4,000 foot range, mid April, it's going to be a little later this year. You know, we've had a crud ton of snow looking at the snow layers and, and the depth, um, this time of year, we, we kind of, you know, pour over those numbers and those, and seeing what prior years and historical data has been. Yeah, this year's a little bit deeper than it was last year in several places, some not, but um, yeah, we are definitely above and beyond. In the places that I'm looking to go, we have more snow this year than we did last. So it's going to be a little bit later, unless something drastic changes and we have this, you know, big heat wave come through and just melt this stuff quick. Yeah. And with, with the snow then, so you're, you're talking about hunting and maybe at a lower elevation and following up. Uh, do you feel that they're, they're going to hibernate a little bit longer? Or will they come out earlier and just maybe head down to find food? Do you feel that that like affects when they're actually going to start showing? I don't think, I don't think they're necessarily going to be sleeping in longer. I guess if you want to call it that, um, they're still going to be up, but they're probably not going to be moving away from that den much. You know, they'll, they'll be there, but, uh, it's, it's, it's very few and far between on the sightings when we have a snow year like this, you know, they, they just don't show themselves. They don't move around. Um, you know, we've seen years where, you know, they've, they've come out, we've actually had some green up and then we'll get a big snow, a big, you know, four or five inch spring snow. And the bears that we've been seeing just disappear. They just disappear. You don't, you don't get your eyes on them. It's not like they went back to bed. They're just they're just hunkered up and they're not going to move around much. And that's what I feel they do on a year like this. You know, they'll be wiping the sleepy out of their eyes and they'll be there, but they're not going to be probably making themselves visible too much. So, um, you know, I don't know that necessarily going extremely low is going to help you much. Like I said, I think most bears are going to be denning in that three to five, 55, 6,000 foot range anyway. Yeah. And then my last question on timing, um, you know, on, on the spring bear hunts I've been involved in, I think I've got to go on five or six of them down there in our Southeast corner. I know you've, there, our seasons, uh, at least the year I had, I don't know what the typical season is, but we ran through like the middle of June. And so I went over there early on the, on the COVID year and then went back late May, early June and uh, noticed that like our bears were finally locked down there late May. Does, is that going to change? I mean, I know you're out there after them kind of ahead of that. Um, part of the part of their schedule, but is that going to kind of push for maybe people that want to get out there? Why they're more active or kind of locked down on sows? Um, is that going to get pushed back, or is that just based like all the other ruts, just kind of on photo period? And it's going to happen at the same time, no matter where the snow is at. That's a great question, and you know I can just go on my gut on that one. My opinion would be there's, they're probably going to be rutting about generally the same time. Maybe it pushes back a little bit, but not much. You know, usually by late May. You know, those bears are starting to travel. You're grabbing boars, um, running ridges, and looking for sows. And then, yeah, usually, you know, come June, they can be locked down pretty good at times. Yeah.
We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer, pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. The next question we got is, how often can you reliably find uh, bears or bears of kind of that same caliber in the same area year after year? Mm. Yeah, uh, surprisingly quite often. Um, and I'll have disagreements with people. I know guys will say, no, it's not the case. They just move too much. But I, I, I can't tell you how many bears we've been able to relocate. And with absolute certainty, you know, year to year, that is the same bear we saw last year. Um, now it changes, you know, but early in the season, I keep going back to early in the season, the front end of the season, I've found that a lot of those older mature boars will frequent the same general area as they did the year prior. Um, on multiple occasions, I've gone back and found bears that I've seen, I had seen the year prior and uh, gone back and, and relocated that bear the following spring. Now, everything changes once that green wave just goes from top to bottom. When it's green from 2,000 to 6,500 feet, you know, number one, it's going to be hard to pinpoint those bears. They're kind of all over the place. They're really starting to range at that point. You know, they'll hang more into the timber where they're not as visible. Um, you know, the green up is just such that it's kind of everywhere. But Absolutely. I've even found fall bears, uh, in similar drainages. When I think back to my Washington fall bear days, 
I've found uh, bears that I could relocate year after year after year in the same small drainage um, on a berry field. So it's definitely it's definitely uh, something that that you can. It's not going to happen every year, but we've proven it to be the case that you can go back and relocate year after year. Yeah. And on the, on that same thread, um, do you feel, you know, similar to deer and elk, you know, you take a giant buck or a giant bull or a big buck or big bull out of it. Do you feel that you can like over harvest, you know, the, the more mature boars if you're hunting the same areas or are they just following sows into an area? Is that like their home range? Um, or will the quality eventually go down? Like what's your opinion on, on that? I have a theory, Jason. I have a theory. I don't know if it's right or not. Um, but I will take an area, for example, there's an area that I'd hunted and took some incredibly old bears out of for years, several, multiple years, um, and took the oldest and baddest mofos up on the mountain. And, uh, and, and then about year five, you go back and not seeing those old mature bears, you know, there hadn't been enough time for another one to move in and take these prime feed locations. Um, you know, generally what you find with the oldest, most mature is they find these, these just magical areas out on the mountain. It's got everything. It's got feed, it's got the water, it's got everything they need. Um, now eventually that area will get filled in with another old boar, but I've noticed that, um, when you hunt an area out and you've taken the oldest, baddest bears on the mountain for multiple years in a row, you're going to hit a point where there's going to be a little gap from what I've seen. And for example, last year I'd, I'd gone back to an area that I'd um, taken some great bears out of. And all of a sudden, um, you know, in years past, I hadn't been seeing a whole lot of cubs. It's rare. You see like, eh, on, a, on a trip, you might see a couple sow cub combos, right? Um, last year, I can't remember the exact numbers, like 11, 12 or 13 different sow cub combos in these areas where now I'm not seeing any old boars, but I'm seeing these young bears and the sows are like feeling, you know, confident enough to run their cubs through there. I feel like what happened, and I'm just telling myself this, maybe it's not true, but those old boars were, were annihilating those cubs for years. And, um, and I think by taking them all out, it actually caused a boom in bear population in that general region, because now there is just most every sow cub combo we were seeing had at least two cat cubs, often three. And so, um, but we were really struggling to pick up the most old mature boars. It was slim pickings on that front, but man, we saw a lot of bears. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then you always wonder once there's that high of a population of bears in there, is it not allowing like boars to reach that like very high level of maturity or have they just not moved in? Mm. Um, interesting. Yep. So I know we've talked a lot about food source or you even said like finding some of those big boars like before the food even starts to grow there. So we know food's very important. Um, what do you like to see as far as like certain features or a combination of food and features? So if you're to take you know, this, this prime lush green food, is that all that matters or are there features you like to see, like the ability to go lay in timber, you know, we hunt in the blues. It seemed like when it rained, um, you know, when, when it, when it stopped raining, you were going to find them right on the fringes, right? They were coming back out from staying dry or, um, you know, holing up. Um, what, what features are you looking for uh, during a spring hunt to kind of combine with the food source? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'd say the most obvious, like, um, like I mentioned before, my go-to areas are steep, nasty, rocky type drainages that have a lot of water in the bottom. Um, generally they're a longer drainage and, uh, you know, you get that moss covered rock kind of on the bottom end of the drainage and then it kind of goes up from there and opens up. Um, I'm looking for those type areas, but one thing I've found on these spring, spring bears is when you can find, um, an, a high on the mountain spring, like a, a spring that's up there 45 to 6,000 feet and that snow recedes and you got a, you know, you got this ridge and you got a North slope on the other side with deep timber. Those bears are able to go back and forth, um, you know, grab that shade on the North slope and then come right back up and over and get that lush green. Oftentimes it's like, um, avalanche lilies that inhabit that area, you know, the very tip top of the hill. And then, you know, balsam flowers and the leaves that, that come with them and all that kind of stuff. But man, when you can find a, a traditional water source, a spring that just runs and uh, offers some good green up on the top of a mountain, man, that has been money for, for me. I've, I've really done well in those type places. Now they can be hard to find. There's a lot of boots on the ground to find them. A lot of these don't show up on the map, but, um, but those spots have been really, really good. Um, but like you said, I think, uh, having the ability to most often these bears aren't out in the wide, wide open, especially the bigger ones. They are on the fringes. They, they are in an area where they can tuck back in and grab a nap. They're pretty lazy on the front end of spring and, um, and then, uh, just come on out and, and they, they like that fringe habitat where the sunlight's grabbing, um, it, it's growing grass just inside the timber and just outside the timber, getting enough shade that it's not getting burnt off and uh, enough sun to allow it to grow. And those little fringe areas that are kind of, um, you know, 50 yards inside the timber, 50 yards outside the timber, those just hold grasses longer and that stays greener there if you ever, you kind of notice that when you're out glassing. Yep. Okay, so we've kind of, elevation and feed kind of end up going together, especially with the snow, right? We've We've determined, all right, there, there are bears at this elevation. Um, throughout a hunt, will you stick to that elevation or will you start to like diverge from it? Will you go up and see if you're finding bears above it? Or once you see that there are big boars at a certain elevation, let's say it's a seven-day hunt, things aren't going to change drastically or maybe they will. Are you going to kind of hone in on that or are you going to still yeah. continue to, to, to venture out and, and you know, go up or down and, and just continue to look? Or is it similar to like when you find that doe group mule deer hunting like, I'm going to stay focused here or do you continue to branch, I guess? Yeah. So <clears throat> generally with, I'm going to keep hammering on the old mature boars because young bears, they travel, they do all kinds of stuff. I mean, you can't, they're not patternable in my opinion. They'll wander all over the place. They'll be on a rock slope one day and North slope and then South slope. They just kind of wander. Now the oldest, most mature boars that we're going for, um, Boy, they, it's really hard to pull them off of that elevation band. When you find them at an elevation band, say they're at 5,200 feet. Now, yeah, they'll dip down there a little bit, but it's rare that they're going all the way down to the bottom. And um, so once we find multiple bears at, say, 5,200 feet, we're going to continue to look at those places. And, um, you know, we're going to start going to our maps and really keying into areas if we're in a new place, looking at that elevation exactly. And we're going to keep basically our eyes on that level as much as possible. 
um, you know, they tend to not go back down, in my opinion, those older ones. They ride that green wave right up to the top, and once it's to the top and up and over, they can absolutely disappear on you. But that that front end, when they're just slowly working their way up that, that receding snow line, I would say what I've noticed and what is 750 feet below the snow line to 1,000 is kind of like a rough estimate as to where you generally find that green up starting. You know, you're seeing the shoots from the avalanche lilies and, and um, whatnot. Sometimes it's a little bit higher than that, but that's kind of a good range to focus in on is 750 to 1,000 feet below snow line. Um, I've found that that's really where those older bears really like to focus and they just don't tend to come back down. You know, even though there's a ton of green grass and I know a lot of guys will get stuck on looking at these chartreuse lime green patches way down on the mountain. But if there is a chartreuse patch on the top of the mountain that just popped up, he's going to be there nine times out of 10 versus that spot lower on the mountain. Yeah. And, and you just mentioned, you know, when it greens up to the very top, bears getting up and out of there. So my question for you is, do you feel if you spot a bear like in a drainage or in a basin that you, until that snow line gets all the way to the top to the ridge, it kind of locks them in that basin? Or do you feel like if you spot a mature boar in a basin, you should be able to stay there for three or four days and he, you're going to turn him back up? Or is there a chance he's going to leave? Or, or what happens most of the time there? Most of the time we turn them back up. Um, now, bears bears are like teenagers, man. They sleep a lot. They take naps and they'll fall behind a log and disappear for you on you for like a half a day. And you'll think he's gone, but oftentimes they're still there. You know, if you, if you see on the front end of that spring within a couple weeks of green up, if you find a big old boar, I'm going to focus on that spot. And, um, you know, I may grab different bandages to look at different angles of the mountain and look at little creases where I, I may not be able to see from that first glassing point. But oftentimes I've found that they, they will tend to stick to that area. Now, once calving happens, once fawns start dropping, you know, things get crazy. Bears go every which way and they disappear. And, and I wouldn't expect to see that boar in late May in that same drainage. Um, when they're keyed into some meat and they've heard some or they've smelled some fawns dropping, man, they're, they're all over the place. Ch- changes them like a it switch changes. Yeah. It does. But in that front end, when they're still, you know, they're kicking out the mucus plug and they're keyed into that fibrous grass and, and, um, they need that to get their digestive, digestive tract back. Um, man, they just don't move that far. So when they're, when they're focused on a little green patch, you know, unless it's just a brown mountain, um, and that bear is traveling from his, say his den to somewhere where there might be some food. Now that could be different. Um, a traveling bear could end up anywhere, but if you witness a bear that is just parked on a green lime patch of grass and he's stuffing his face and there's not a whole lot of green above him, um, that's, that's a bear that I would expect to be able to relocate. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot about where to find these bears and more specifically these mature boars. Um, so somebody's getting ready to go out. They, they may not be as confident as you, you know, we've talked about a lot of it, but you still get out there. You're unsure. So our next question was, um, how long do you give an area before you write it off? Do you feel you need to give it an evening, a morning, both multiple days? Like, 
you know, and, and this all, this is very dependent on your glassing skill, right? There, there's different, there's different levels of people's ability to glass where you're very, you know, you may be very confident, but, but kind of what do you feel, um, your confidence level is how much, how much time do you need to give an area before you need to, you know, pull the anchor and, and go somewhere else to find a bear? Yeah. Um, so bears aren't really just, they're not hiding, you know, they don't, they don't hide from you. They're just out doing their thing of feeding. That, that front end of spring, they are there to feed and put some weight back on. Um, so like I said, I, I love traveling and cruising country and, and all that, but depending on the topography that I'm looking at, if I'm looking at a burn that's, that's got some good green growth underneath it, and I know that I'm just not being able to see everything, there's enough timber in there that I just can't pick everything up if it was there. Um, I'll probably stay a little longer in that type place. But if I'm able to see most of everything and there's a day spent there and I don't pick up a bear, I'm out of there. I'm going to go check something else, you know, off the list. Um, and that's, that's just me. You know, I feel like, uh, at some point throughout the day, if there's a bear on an adjacent hillside and I'm glassing it, I should be able to pick that thing up. Um, and you know, as far as timing goes, don't put all your eggs into just glassing in the morning that may be a time when that bear's just not standing yet he may be sleeping in a little bit um but i'd say from 10 11 12 to the end of the day that's that is in my opinion that is your prime glassing time and it changes as the season progresses it'll get much more evening dependent um but man that time frame in april front half of may you know, that 10 o'clock to noon, I can't tell you how many bears we start seeing moving around from 10 to noon and then one to two, they're just up and on their feet. And, uh, that's a great time. That is not the time for you to take a nap, like yep. sleep in <laughs> if anything, yep. uh, and grab a little extra coffee in the morning, but focus your glassing throughout the day, even if it's sunny and bright. And, you know, if you're thinking about, if you're a new bear hunter and you're an elk guy or a deer guy, and that's the time that you kind of lay off the glass, it's kind of the opposite when it comes to bears. Um, if you're going to sleep in, sleep in in the morning and make sure you keep eyes on the mountain through that throughout the day. Because it's, what's funny, Jason, is one thing I've noticed, I'd be curious if anybody else has noticed this too, but um, sometimes I'll be looking at a mountain and it'll be dead till about 10 o'clock. And then all of a sudden I'll pick up like three, four bears on this open face, right? And they're all on their feet. And then they're all napping again, you know, and say 30, 45 minutes, they're napping again. And then say like one o'clock at the age, almost the exact same time, they're all on their feet again and they're feeding around. Um, it's like this internal um, time clock that gets them up and then puts them back down. I've noticed that over and over and over again, like, well, that one's on his feet. I bet if I look hard, I might be able to pick up another one. Um, that's just something that I've always wondered why that is, but it seems like they, they have these certain times throughout the day. It's almost like the old Solonar chart when you're fishing, you know, um, you know, a moon phase or whatever. There's, there's something to it. I just haven't quite put my finger on it. Yeah. I, I'm in the same boat, you know, being a, originally only hunting blacktails and elk here, it was always you know, very first half hour of the day, very last half hour of the day were always your best. And then I got to experience coos deer hunting and it was kind of the first animal like, man, I might as well just slept in because yeah. I mean, but you, you never miss that. I mean, I would still never miss the, you know, first, first part of the day, even spring bear hunting, but the same thing on these spring bear hunts I've been on. It's like, 
man, am I really wasting like my focus and my weight, you know, my, but you're still out there, but the same thing, um, you know, 10 o'clock on 11 o'clock on, we've seen a lot more bears. And the one time if I had to like, you know, if, if I was to write a spot off, it would be, as we talked about, we get a lot of those spring showers in, in, in the spring, you know, an hour's rain. And then it suns up right after that, like in, in the blues, especially like if I didn't see a bear in that, like sun up time when then I was like, all right, there's no bears here because we could almost set our clocks to it, you know, all right, it oh, rained, yeah. let's, let's, let's not glass or let's stay in the dry. And then as soon as that sun started hitting those slopes, um, it seemed like everything popped at the same time, you know, all over the mountain. I'll bet you if you were to take a, to take a poll from guys that have spring bear hunted a ton, a ton of years over their lifetime, they would all agree with you on that one. Like when you get a storm, even if it's a multi-day storm or it's just a, a half-day storm, and then the sun comes out and the grasses start steaming and the mountains warming up, I don't know that there's a better time to be bear hunting than that <laughs> time right there. Um, those are far and away the best days i've ever had an experience where i've had the most sightings are those days and um and you're right if you're not seeing a bear after that happens after that big nasty storm or even like a a snowstorm and then the sun comes up and it just starts melting everything uh if you're not seeing bears at that point move it along you know yep. hike to a different drainage they're just not yep. there yep okay so these bears in the springtime, I've heard, I've heard things up to 30 to 35% body weight down from where they'll be in August. Um, you know, they're, they're down whatever percentage that is, but they don't necessarily look like they do in the fall and, and it may cause some difficulty on sexing a bear, but, but what are some of the telltale signs or what do you look for specifically when you're trying to tell, um, you know, if, if it's a mature boar, mature boars are maybe the anomaly, right? Cause they carry some features that maybe those tweeners don't, but, mm. um, walk us through the features you're looking at. Yeah. So every time I immediately pick up a bear in the glass, you know, sometimes and often is the case in the first few seconds, you know, like, wow, that is a tank of a bear. Like it's just blatantly obvious. Um, there's some features that you always key into. I think with boars, you know, we'll speak to the obvious. The the front end of a boar is much blockier, much bulkier um, than that of a female. You know, the the female, the front end, you know, those legs kind of go straight down. It's much more narrow up front, much wider in the back. It's, it's much fatter back there. Complete opposite. You know, bears have that old man look. It's like they don't have an ass and they uh, they've got them. <laughs> But they've got them big, like pit bull shoulders on them. You know, the big rolling shoulders when they walk. And um, I think for me, you know, when I'm trying to size up a bear, I'm looking for more of their their mannerisms, like their behavior, how they're feeding, um, how they're moving through country. It is a very slow, deliberate movement through the mountains on those older age class boars. The younger uh, or just sows in general. Uh, younger boars, they're going to have a much faster pace. Um, their steps are going to be less deliberate. They're going to walk with their shoulders a little straighter, you know, it's much more streamlined versus that big rounded, you know, waddle that a big old boar will do. Now, one thing you got to be careful of, because I have seen on multiple occasions, young boars try to bear stomp like an older boar like you'll see a young bear do the bear stomp and try to act as if but um 
And it's funny to watch them do that. They just don't have the swagger that a big old boar is going to have. Um, now there's some other things to look at, you know, obviously when you're going for size, um, you know, one, one way I've found to, to help in that because you don't have a barrel or whatever, you know, when you're out glassing to size them up to, you know, I'll use, um, just some of the vegetation that's out there. Balsam wreaths are, balsam flowers are easy. You can, you can kind of get the general idea of the size of them. Um, and, and the, uh, vegetation that's around there, you know, the, the trees and whatnot. And they'll give you a good idea of how tall that bear is or how big that bear's head is, you know, cause their faces are buried in those flowers like crazy in the springtime. Um, you know, obviously the blockiness of the head, but you got to be careful with that. I mean, it block blocky heads, you know, where there's a, a very defined triangle between the tip of the nose and both ears. Yeah, that's probably a big old headed bear. But there are some skinny headed bears out there that'll fool you and, and you'll pass on that might be a great bear to take. You know, I've I've taken some bears that are very streamlined in their in their features and yet their bodies, they're like polar bears. They're just like a polar bear. Some of the longest bears are just like that. They're not those those front heavy blockheads. They're more of a slender, long bodied bear. And, um, some of those are the best bears to go for. So yeah, there's a lot of different ways, but, um, my favorite way to kind of determine if it's a bear that we really want to target and go for, obviously targeting the the mature boars is, is just that we watch them for a long period of time. We watch for that swagger. Yeah. And that when you say swagger, I kind of related it to it's almost like they've got to throw their shoulder out and around in front of them. Yep. They got to throw their back leg. They can't just walk in a straight line. They're kind of throwing their arm out in front and then they they kind of almost, you know, zigzag as they walk because they're they're not walking in a linear line. They're kind of waddling side to side. Um, yep. One thing we didn't touch on, I'm curious to, to get your take on one thing that we do look at a lot is ears, ear placement mm-hmm. on this on the head and then how big the ears look like relative to the head. Is that something you look at as well to kind of help determine size? But it is, I think ears, ears also are one of those things that can be, they can kind of throw you at times though, too, because I've seen some pretty big eared old boars, but the one thing you won't see is a very small bear with ears on the side of its head that look like buttons. You know, those are obvious. That's a giant, but I've also taken some big noggin bears that have had fairly larger ears. Now they're not going to be pointed like a younger bear. They're not going to look like a German shepherd, but larger than other older bears. You know, there's a, there's definitely a difference. Um, yeah, there's a range there, but yeah, they do help. I think, um, again, though, you might pass on something that may have been worth taking if you only are going by, button ears on the side of their head. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot of bears that don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. We put a little more weight into location versus like the size of the ear. Like when they start to roll over, you know, past yeah. on top seem to yeah. seem to be a better indicator, at least the more mature boars that we've killed. But yeah, it was, it, it can still fool you. You know, anything on a bear can fool you uh, yeah. some of the time, but yeah, if you start, I think the, the, the important thing is if you start to similar to like when I was mountain goat hunting, like you should be able to pick up like the dark patch on their rump, you should be able to pick up this. And then when you put 
three or four of those things together, like you said, they've got the swagger, they've got the small ears. You know, one of those features may be off, but at least if you can put two or three together, your confidence mm. level of what you're what you're looking at should go up. Yeah, and I think um, you know, we'll just throw it in there as well. But that crease in the forehead, you know, on a big bear, they get those big cheeks. You know, those big meat cheeks on the top of their head there that we like to cook up later. Um, but man, those things, they'll throw a, a pretty mean crease right down the center of that forehead. And that's another way, like if you see that on a bear that's got some swagger, man, that's going to be a good bear for sure. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide, helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. All right, so we've identified a bear, um, and and before we get going, after the, I'm going to throw another question in there. Um, you know, bears probably their best scent is you know they can see okay, not very, not great by any means, um, but they can, they can smell well. Um, what, in your opinion, how close is too close? If you're if you're uh, glassing across like a real steep box canyon, um, if the wind's not right, like what's your safe distance? Man, if if I'm glassing across Canyon, I'm not going to be as worried about it. Often I find the scent doesn't go from one side to the other. You know, when there's a crick raging through the bottom, um, I'm much less concerned about my scent just traveling over and even getting 500 yards to the adjacent side on a, 
on a 40 degree or, you know, 35 degree pitch slope, I'm not as worried there, but if he's on the same side as me, um, you know, and that bear is 800 yards away from me and I got a wind to my back, the bear's probably going to smell me with, yep. without hesitation. Even if he's a thousand yards out, if I got wind to my back and he's on the same side as me and there's no cuts between us, I would put no faith in that. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would yeah, boogie I, and try to eliminate that. Yeah. It, 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 I was a little taken back. There was an episode with uh, Stephen Clay bear hunting there in Montana, I believe spring bear hunting and you know, there's extra guys, camera guys and whatnot, but Steve couldn't believe that that bear winded him at eight, 900 yards. And there were a few rolls in the same hillside that they were on, but it was on the same face oh, yeah. that they were on. And that thing, you know, it just by its mannerisms, it picked up something it didn't like and got out of there. And it was like, all right, these things are at a, at a different level. Um, Man, than, than the, deer the nose on those things is unbelievable. What is it like a hundred yep. times better than humans or whatever? Yep. Yep. I don't know how many, how close it is to a bloodhound. I know it's above and beyond that. Yeah. Um, but one thing I've noticed on that front as well, um, and people may have picked up on this, but when you're hunting an area in the beginning, you know, you tend to see everything, but once you've moved through an area, especially with predators, you know, wolves and bears, it seems as if like once they've picked up your scent in that area, all of a sudden your sightings go way down. Like it's not, it's not, it's not just that you're in front of them at the time. But once you've put a little scent on the mountain, um, you may have a bear wander through that spot, but the likelihood of you seeing a, a bear that's not at heightened at a heightened state is pretty slim. Um, man, your scent sticks to the mountain and they will pick it up. If you've ever seen one come across your scent after a line that you've taken, they stop and they know exactly where you were. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great point, and and maybe something people should pick up on, like with a very defined, per, you know, move with a purpose. Don't just you know walk yep. through a basin unless you need to. You know, similar to whitetail deer hunting, you don't go through you know their bedding area. You know, on on a on a predator, um, you know, hunt or of any hunt, like be very careful on where you're putting your feet. Um, you know, stay yeah. in it, stay in kind of a neutral area. I think the best approach is always in those type mountain scenarios is. You know, it's always trying to find that great vantage point that doesn't throw your scent into where you're looking, obviously, and try to stay there unless you absolutely have a bear to go for and you have to move. Um, yeah, less movement, the better in bear country, in my opinion. Yep. Unless you're moving drainages. So we've taken all of this information you know, you've shared and you finally, you've spotted your bear. So now we're going to, you know, decide on, on, are we going to stalk this bear? Or are we going to wait? And kind of all the factors that dictate that decision. And then once you do decide what factors dictate your approach. So I'm, I know you're a very patient. You, you say you're impatient, but you're very patient when you need to be. I think, you know, we, mm -hmm. we talk, we go back to like the, the big Colorado buck that you killed, like at what, six, seven days until you made your move and you finally slipped up. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'm guessing you're the same way with bears. You're, you're impatient until you need to be. And then you're very patient. Um, what are some, I, I guess this question kind of all rolls into itself. When you decide to stalk and when you do what, what, what do you have to think about then? You know, and there, there's all of those things like, you know, where you're going to shoot from bear movement, time of day, mm -hmm. all that stuff, but kind of give us, give us your, uh, your uh, yeah, opinion on with, all of that. I think with patience, you know, it, it, plays more of a role in bear hunting almost than anything else. 
um, patience and glassing is one thing, you know, 95% of your, your day is consumed with just glassing and not seeing much with another small percentage of it, hopefully making a play on a bear. But even when you pick up a bear, you kind of have to make the call of, um, am I going to potentially blow this bear out if I go hastily over after him right now, say the wind isn't perfect or whatever. Um, and it's just my style, Jason, but I will tend to, if it's not, it's never going to be perfect, but if the deck isn't stacked in my favor, like if the cards aren't stacked in my favor, I'm probably going to sit back and wait for a, uh, a better play. You know, maybe that bear is just not in the right spot at the moment. And, you know, especially if you pick up a, a traveling bear, you know, a bear that hasn't been just parked in a, in a spot for an hour, you know, that bear, I'm, I feel like I'll probably be able to pick him back up when I get over to this area and, you know, put myself in a place to shoot him. But a traveling bear, sometimes it's best to sit back. And I, I can think of multiple areas where I've hunted, you know, steep sided river type drainages where I'll pick up a bear, maybe on the other side of the drainage. And, um, probably the worst thing that I could have done is taken my eyes off that bear and changed locations because they're moving so much. You know, um, there are times when they just, they grab a bite and they're walking they grab a bite and they're walking. You kind of want to sit back and maybe this is a bear that you won't even get a play on, but, um, maybe he's going to feed right out of the basin or he's going to park it take a little snooze. It's going to give you time, but you want to know where that bear's going. You want to know where he stops and, and, um, give yourself the best chance, but I'm not going to, uh, jeopardize the hunt by moving too fast, crossing the Canyon, getting up on the other side. If I don't have to, because again, we just talked about the scent thing. I want to keep that scent locked down as much as possible. Um, you know, I like gimmies when it comes to bear hunting. I don't take a whole lot of chances just like anything yeah. else. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I'm very patient with, you know, trying to not put a bear to bed necessarily, but really get an idea of what that bear's doing. Does it look like he's going to stick to this spot? Can I get closer? All the things that, you know, similar to what you do on a, on a classic mule deer hunt or whatever. Yep. Yep. And, you know, as you just mentioned, you don't want to necessarily go over there and, and not get a shot. Now you've just, you know, stunk up his favorite area and put your scent there and, uh, yep. Yeah. So be, I, I like it. Um, yeah. A lot of times we use the phrase, like, what do we say? Cause we'll see something and, and immediately we're like, well, he's ours. All we got to do is not screw it up. Like it, it's on us. Like we'll get this thing unless we screw it up. And that's often the case with bears. Yep. And, and like the bear I killed specifically, we were three hours away from where he was at, from where we spotted him, like in order to go all the way around, hike out the ridge get down on the finger. But, you know, some of the things we were looking at was, all right, there's one sow and two boars there. Is that going to change the equation? And then we really monitored, like, where when we first spotted them to where we last seen them, it's been a half an hour and they've moved 50 yards. So they're not interested in getting out of the area. We've got two bears or actually three bears to look at instead of two. And so we used all of those things. Time of day, it was, you know, earlier in the morning. I think we picked them up at like 930. So we had all day to go over there and try to relocate them. They were in a pretty isolated basin. So like you said, this is kind of all those stacking the deck features, right? We've now got all of this in our favor. Yeah, there's still a chance they can get out of there, but it was worth the time and effort to go over there, um, you know, because of these things. Now, if they would have been moving 
if they would have moved, you know, that that 500 yards in five minutes, then it would have been very. We would if we would have went over there, it would have just been a hastily. You know, we would have stunk the area up. Probably yeah. never relocated them. And so similar to you, um, you know, you, you just you put all of those factors together and like. If, if the probability of me thinking I have a 90% chance of killing them, you know, or him on this, this plan, then let's just sit back and, and wait. So we don't screw it up. Yeah. And it's a case by case basis, right? I can, <clears throat> I can think of a time where, you know, I, I picked up a bear and he was over two miles away, you know, in, on an evening. And that bear, um, was coming out like, I think it was like three o'clock or something like that. And, you know, we, at that time, obviously we're not going to get, get to it. We had a river to cross. We had all kinds of stuff to deal with. Um, so we made the call, like it was an area where the best feed feature was a place that we could get a great shot on if we just got within 350 yards of this thing. But we had to spend the rest of that night and next morning to move country, to get to this new spot where now we're going to sit there and park it and wait for this bear to come out and most likely get back on that feeding feature, which is like this grassy meadow. And it worked like, like a charm. You know, we ended up taking a giant bear and, uh, but it took us a long time to get there. And then once we got there, we basically took turns napping and one guy was always on the glass and, and we just waited that bear out. And sure enough, that evening started rolling by and, and out came the bear and we got him exactly where we wanted to. But then there's also the other um, situation where you pick up a bear in the evening and I've seen them, you know, just feeding in this big basin. And, um, you know, you might be getting a little bit low on light and you might be getting a little bit low on days at the end. You know, maybe you only have a couple days to do this. You know, that would be a scenario where I would say, go for it. Like, do whatever it takes to get there. Hustle your tail off. And there's a great chance that you're probably going to get a shot at that bear. Um, it's just, it's situation by situation, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so one of my favorite parts of hunting is, is the calling aspect, but I feel maybe out of any other animal I go out there to call a spring bear, I feel like my calling is, is like a, the, a very small portion. Um, and I, I'm curious, um, you know, being, as we mentioned, the whole, everything we've been talking about mainly has been like a spot and stock, um, type hunting, which is exactly how I spring hunt for bears. Um, when do you use calling? Um, what calls do you use? Kind of what's your approach on when you'll pull a call out and then when you do kind of what's your, your technique or strategy for calling in spring bears? Yeah. So generally we, you know, spring bear calling is, is so hit and miss, you know, on the front end of it, it's just, I've never found it to work never found it to work much in April. I've not found it to work much the front end of May. As you get later and pushing towards the the calving time, you know, their digestive tracts are, are moving along and, and they're maybe already kicking around some rocks and feeding on some grubs and larvae. And, and now they're eating a ground squirrel on occasion. They're ready for some meat. Man, that is the time where calling can be probably the most intense exhilarating way to hunt bears that you'll ever experience. You know, um, it doesn't work all the time, but you know, when you hit that later part of the season, uh, just before the rut, oftentimes the bears aren't going to be out maybe as long during the day. And that's a great opportunity to, uh, get yourself on a, almost like a glassing knob type place and just rip on that distress call, you know, 
you've built some incredible distress calls. I've got three of them and those things work great. Um, but man, it is a ton of fun just sitting on a knob, hitting that distress call, keep on with it. You know, you don't want to let off the gas on a distress call. Um, and, uh, and oftentimes those bears will be on you in no time, you yep. know, within seconds if they're close. And I've also had experiences where I'm looking at a bear and I'm hitting him with a distress call and he may look my direction, but it's just not that time for him. It wasn't his day and he's not going to make the decision to come my way. Um, but I've also seen the opposite, um, where a bear is, you know, five, 600 yards away and he hears that thing and he is booking it. I mean, he yep. is boogieing across that mountain to get to where you are. So sometimes they come in slow. Sometimes they come in extremely fast and you yep. better be ready for it. Yep. Um, you know, to, to kind of reiterate what you said, bears get, um, they, they get sidetracked very easy. So you said kind of wail on the call and don't let up, which is one thing. And then, um, yeah, the, the speed that they approach the ones that we've called to, um, we, we used a calf distress on our, my buddy, Charlie's hunt, you know, it was 1200 yards away across Canyon. We couldn't get any closer where he was at. Uh, we started wailing on just a calf distress, just our, our normal cow call. And that thing closed 600 yards within a mere minute. Um, you yeah. can see him just sprint down through the timber. Of course, he never came all the way and he had to cross the creek and come up. But at that point, we had no other option. Like it was either going to work or we weren't going to kill him anyway. So it, it could only add, um, you know, we've used distressed calls a little bit. Like we know he's went maybe into a patch of timber. We're maybe running out of light and we're maybe of our hunt. Like maybe that will pull him out so we can at least see him. Um, but yeah, a lot of times uh, it, it may actually, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to say it can screw up, but early in the season when they just want to be a little bit isolated and left alone, yeah. like all you're doing is drawing attention to yourself and they may not be that interested in it. It may be for nothing anyways. So, yeah. Um, it, yeah. And oftentimes, you know, if you're a rifle guy, um, the distress call, just gets them out of the timber, just get them interested enough to get that clean shot. You know, it, you don't necessarily need to call them within a hundred yards or whatever, but you know, many, many times, if you're in an area with a cut, you know, with some type of a, an edge to it, you can at least draw those bears to the edge and they're curious and they'll look and, you know, maybe not to the point of coming all the way in, but just enough time to get that shot. And, um, you know, I think I'll, I'll just say, be careful in gray's country when you're in gray's country, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah, calling in Montana is, is different than a lot of the places we've chased them in Idaho where there are no grizz. Yeah, um, calling sure. can be very effective, but it sure brings grizzlies in too. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, so we've did everything right. We've either made our stock, we've called them in, um, walk us through middle of middle a little bit. Um, we're getting ready to shoot this bear and there's a lot of, um, there, uh, I believe it was iron. Will maybe had made a post here recently on where you shoot a bear. And, um, yeah. there was a lot of confusion. There was even a lot of arguing on, you know, some of us answered middle of the bot, you know, halfway up halfway yep. between the legs, like literally the center of the body where you wouldn't think about, um, being a great shot on a deer and elk. Walk us through yep. that. You guys have killed a bunch of bears. And I know on some of your videos, you know, people have maybe asked like, why the heck did you shoot them so far back? But, um, explain that to us yeah. and, and maybe a little of the anatomy and then why it works so well. Yeah. It's going to be controversial every time when you talk about shot placement on bears for sure. Um, but I, uh, I can confidently say you shoot a bear middle of the middle, that bear's not going far at all. You shoot a bear in the front shoulder. Um, you may be trying to track a bear for a very, very long ways. Now, 
maybe this changes when you're talking about like a coastal brown bear or something in Alaska. You know, I know those guys are trying to knock those shoulders out. Number one, I think I don't shoot anything in the shoulder, <laughs> Jason. I don't shoot deer in the shoulder. I don't shoot elk in the shoulder, moose. I care about that meat to the point that I'm just not going to risk wasting any meat whatsoever. So I'm always a little off the shoulder, but with bears, you are so far better off shooting middle of middle. If you want to bring it a little bit forward, maybe two, three inches front of middle of middle. Great. But those lungs on a bear, um, I will challenge anybody next time you break a bear down, look at how far those lungs go back. Those things literally go back to like that second rib back rib on a bear and man, nothing deflates a bear. Bears, in my opinion, are softer than even a whitetail, Jason. <laughs> soft. <laughs> They're soft. You shoot a middle of middle, those things deflate and they go down fast and hard. But where most people run into trouble is they shoot a little too far forward and good luck tracking a wounded bear. And that's yep. where those wounded bears come from is guys shooting them in the shoulders. You're not going to track a bear far if you shoot middle of middle. It's never going to happen. But it, I'm sure there's guys that will forever and always claim to shoot them on the front quarter there. Um, but I have seen and I have heard from and I have had so many people reach out in frustration about hitting them in that front shoulder. Um, that was a bear that they tried to track and we all know how hard they are to track if they're not, if they're not down within, you know, 50 to 100 yards man, you know, you, they get into that timber and they don't leave blood. They tend to clog up with the fat and the hat and the hair. They can be tough. So yep. you want to put them down quick. And the best way, in my opinion, to do that is to take out those lungs. It's not to go shoulder. Um, you spend a lifetime of hitting shoulders. You're going to have a good amount of wounded bears at the end of it. You shoot middle of middle, you ain't going to have any. Yeah. Well, thanks uh, for joining us today, Ryan. Um, in closing, what is one tip you'd give uh, new spring bear hunters, maybe somebody that hasn't found a bunch of success, um, just kind of that main tip? Like what's what's your uh, voice of encouragement for them here? Oh, man. I think, I think bear hunting has been overlooked by many. I think it's underrated, in my opinion. Absolutely love it. I spoke to it's overtaken elk for me as far as like one of my most anticipated. Elk I'm going to pretend <laughs> like I didn't hear that. Yeah. But, um, I would encourage people to go give it a shot. We got a ton of opportunity here in these Western States. It's a great time to be out bear meat. We didn't even talk about, um, it's incredible. There's a lot of different ways I've got, I've got some in the sous vide right now from, from last year that I'm going to feed some folks with yeah. tonight. Um, but I think, uh, as anything else, you know, make the hunt, however it works for you. If you don't have the time, you know, look to those areas that aren't too far off the beaten path where you're just going to have nice, you know, feed zones to glass, um, or get yourself in wicked ass good shape and treat it like any mountain hunt, whether it's like a sheep hunt or a goat hunt, you know, you can get yourself into some awfully incredible places chasing spring bears if that's the hunt that you're looking for so for adventure guys i don't know that there is a better time to do it than after we've kind of shaken the rust off this winter 
to get out there and start chasing bears. Um, you know, take your time, be picky, you know, trying to take those older age class bears. Number one, I think they're better to, to pull out of the, the pool. Number two, you get a whole lot more meat off of a big bear than you do a medium sized yeah. bear. Yeah. So I would just, uh, I would just say, um, you know, get after it. I encourage anybody to give it a shot. Maybe it's not for you, but give it a try. Yeah. I, I spring bear hunting, you know, on those times I've got to go, it may not pass elk, but it was, it was, uh, an absolute blast. I had a, I loved it. I love the glassing aspect. Um, and, and they're just cool critters. And, and like you yeah. said, we didn't talk a lot about it, but my kids, um, when they found out you could kill two of them here in Washington, wanted to know why I only brought one home. So they, they eat oh. really, really well. And, uh, <laughs> they do. we, we loved them. So in closing, Ryan, um, how can people find out more about you? Where can they follow your adventures, uh, get a hold of you, um, mm-hmm. give them, give everybody a way to contact you or to follow with yeah. your adventures. Yeah, I guess, uh, the easiest is on the old IG, um, at stealthy hunter, S T H E A L. And, um, and then, yeah, we, we have put a lot of bear videos out, uh, over the years. Um, folks can find that over on the gritty YouTubes. Um, we're about to drop some more that we haven't shown in the past. Uh, in fact, this weekend we're dropping, uh, some of the trips from last spring. So guys want to kind of see some of the country we're hunting and the ways we're doing it, you know, maybe tune into some of those, um, those YouTube videos. Well, like always, really appreciate you having you here. Um, I'm a little bummed. Like we'd kind of semi-planned a, a spring bear hunt together, and then um, I let a trip to Disneyland get in the way of that. So um, <laughs> maybe did. 2024. Yes, sir. I'd All right. love to All do right. it. Yep. Thanks, Jason. Take care, Ryan. Have a good one. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY.